This is Bob Rourke with Business Leaders Podcast, and today we're going to go through and do a continuation or a deep dive from an original podcast with Sean Hutchinson of SVA. He's the CEO and partner. And what we're going to be talking about today is the Value Accelerator Methodology Company of the Future. Sean, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Bob. Good to be here. So let's go. Let's talk about the company of the future component. All right. So just as a reminder, a few principles from the first podcast that we did. We have three classes of owners, three categories. We've got the explorers, we've got the pivoters, and we've got the triggerers. Explorers are seeking information and insights. Pivoters are actually working on value accelerator actively and intensively. And then the triggerers are owners who are really looking in the short term to transition ownership of their business. Where we're going to be today on company of the future is in the value accelerator. This is the intensive work. And so we're working with the pivoting owners. Company of the future is strategy. Think about current state, future state. When you're doing strategy, you got two questions to answer. They're pretty simple questions. Where are we going and how are we going to get there? That's all you really need to do. Sounds simple, doesn't it? What is it? Simple is not easy, right? That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. You say simple, but so we created Company of the Future as a 90-day sprint. What we ask our clients to do is concentrate. They're going to continue to run their business, by the way. It's not like we're going on a 90-day retreat. But what we are focusing on in terms of value acceleration is where are we going as a company out of all the options out there? Where do we want to plant our flag? How do we want to create a direct path or at least a path that can efficiently get us there? And then what resources are we going to need? both in our company and from outside of our company, in order to activate that pathway. And what I'm going to describe to you are two things, after using a few visuals here, I'm going to describe to you two tools. One is graphic game plan, and the other is called strategic doing, which is an agile strategy methodology. We believe in agile strategy, and I want to say many times, as many times as I possibly can, this has a strong bias for action. The reason that we call it strategic doing is because strategic planning really doesn't encourage anybody to do anything at all except plan. So think about being in an action mindset throughout this entire process. That's what's going to count. So I want you to imagine that we have a picture from the Kepler Space Telescope that shows us all of the Milky Way at one time. What is that going to look like, Bob? Busy. It's going to look really busy. Busy. My, that's the marketplace. When you're looking at your universe of options, the marketplace is noisy. It has a lot of things flying at you, right? A lot of motion, a lot of dynamism. It's hard to pick a spot that looks good. So the first thing you're going to have to do is chaos reduction, right? In your planning, chaos reduction. You're going to have to learn what the essence of leadership is, and that is knowing what not to do deciding what not to do. So if you're thinking about the marketplace as a noisy, chaotic, dynamic place like the universe, the first thing you're going to have to do is clear the windshield a little bit, right? And try to determine internally why that point in the universe that you want to go to is the right one for your business. There are lots of discussions that have to go into that. What really matters to your business? What is your bullseye, in other words? If you imagine goal setting as a bullseye with 
one goal in the center ring, secondary goals around it, some fringe goals around that. But at the end of the day, in order to get your team and your company, all of your company focused on one thing, you need something in that bullseye, in the center circle that matters, that gets people excited. We call that the framing question. That goal is going to come out of the framing question. And this comes out of something called Appreciative Inquiry, which was developed by David Cooperwriter. There's actually his book is called Appreciative Inquiry. And the framing question is a compelling question. It's meant to attract the best resources to the table, internally and externally. All of those resources bring assets which are going to be useful in doing and achieving this strategy, these strategic goals. So the framing question goes something like, imagine that our company were able to X, Y, and Z in the next five years. What would that look like? Now we've begun to make the process of strategic planning and strategic doing visual. What would that look like? What would this company look like? What would the lives of the people who work here look like? How might it alter the community that we are in? What does that do, right, to our world? If that framing question is put well, if it's designed well, resources are attracted to it. That's the value of appreciative inquiry. If it is not put well, if the framing question is sort of dead in the water, not compelling, it repels resources, literally repels them. So you can't bring the assets that you need to the table. So company of the future, first step, imagine the universe, right? And then pick something that you're going to plant your flag on and understand the reasons why. The second thing you have to do is begin to create what we call escape velocity. Let's imagine that you're in the space shuttle. There's some science that's got to go into this, right? And that's the planning portion of it. You're going to need to gather data. You need to understand how many times you got to go around the Earth and when you're going to exit the Earth's atmosphere in order to propel you towards that goal that you have out there. So we all know what happens in a low Earth orbit. How much friction is there? And you come back. It's a lot, yes. It can actually pull you down if you're not flying at the right speed, right? All those factors. So what we want to do in escape velocity is actually propel ourselves at the right point, at the right speed, with the right resources into a lower friction environment, right? And ultimately, when we get into space, we have a no friction environment, basically. And so it takes a lot of fuel to get us out there. But once we're there, because space is basically our space now, we've claimed it, we are now in our niche, it doesn't take very much energy for us to alter course. Now we can be agile because we're in the right place at the right time for the right reasons. So those are kind of the metaphors. Those are the visuals that we would use with the client. Chaos reduction, get the noise out of the way, understand where you're going, and understand how you're going to get there. Two easy strategy questions that are impossible to answer, right? No, I'm kidding. You can. So Company of the Future uses two tools, the graphic game plan, which is divided into three parts. One, that target, right? That target that we talked about. And the hardest part of that is just picking a clear, concise primary goal. Most companies, when you ask them about their strategic goals, they'll give you a laundry list. We want to be the biggest, we want to do the best, right? And in a lot of cases, it's in language that nobody really finds clear or compelling because it's not. 
So being able to align your team around one thing that they literally could probably put above their computers or on a coffee cup and remind themselves every day that that is our primary goal. My contention has always been, not facetiously, by the way, that if it doesn't fit on a coffee cup, then it's not a good goal. You really need to, everybody's got to, you know, be able to identify with it and quote it offhand. So once you've got that established, you can then look at the secondary goals and the third goals. But here's where the action starts to come into play. Now you have to begin to build your resources. And that's normally, it can be assets from in four classes, knowledge. So people who can bring knowledge to the table, people who can bring social or networking connections to the table, financial assets, capital, various kinds, cash, sometimes intellectual property, and physical assets. That could be in the manufacturing world, manufacturing capacity. You know, we see in collaborative environments in this planning that if you think of it as a community ecosystem of assets, you might have manufacturers here and a manufacturer there. Even if they're competitors, it's better for the community if they share machines when they have excess capacity. Rather than having one buy a $50,000 machine that they don't use all the time and the other one buy a $50,000 machine that they don't use all the time. And both companies are now decapitalized and they're still not using their resources efficiently. So those kinds of assets come to the table. Then we're going to look at success factors. What are the things that must be present in order for you to reach your primary goal, but in and of themselves do not guarantee success? Mm -hmm. Let me say that again. Those things that must be present in order for you to reach your primary goal, but in and of themselves do not guarantee success. With those, we're going to match risk factors, right? What are the risks? What would get in the way of us not being able to get there? And ultimately, what we call Pathfinder projects. Pathfinder projects, I love Pathfinder projects because it brings teams together and it lets them work together on something that moves the needle quickly. What would usually be ex- within 90 days. Yeah. What would be an example of a Pathfinder project team? Yeah, so let's say that the primary goal, just to make things simple, is that we want to go from being a $5 million company to a $10 million company in the next 18 months. That's what we put. So we put $10 million in the box, right? $10 million in that center circle. We then say, okay, well, how does that break down? We've got you know, a division that's doing $1 million and we think it could do two. That's great. But how do we get from one to two? Mm-hmm. Well, the chances are good that that might break down into you know, three Pathfinder projects, which might need to be done in sequences. So bring the team into the room and say, all right, let's identify the paths. Let's identify the things that we would call Pathfinder projects. Let's break it up into teams. Hey, team one, you guys are going to work on Pathfinder project one, and this needs to be done in the next 90 days. There's a parallel Pathfinder project. But all of these projects are not to fix stuff necessarily, unless it's moving us toward the goal of moving that division from 1 million to 2 million in revenue for all the right reasons, right? And in the original podcast, we talked about the seductiveness of moving the top line and introducing risk in the process, which destroys value in the company. So it's got to be, if you're going to add customers, right, if you need to go out and find new customers in order to move from one to two, that could be a Pathfinder project, identifying and beginning to put your message in front of 100 new customers. Now, there's a concept that is worth putting on the table here. We refer to it as the next right customer. So if you're trying to move from one to two million and you dig down on that story, you need to move from one to two million and maintain an 18% gross profit margin, not have to make any huge capital investments along the way. So that Pathfinder project has to take all of those design constraints, in other words, into the plan. So 
the team starts working on that and they have a very clear mandate. Figure out how to do that in 90 days. We're going to meet every 30 days to make sure that we're on goal, right? That the process is going. That Pathfinder project and 30-day kind of cycle is called Agile Strategy. That's really what we're trying to embed in the organization when we're doing Company of the Future. So where are we going is the question about chaos reduction, picking some place to plant your flag, understanding the reasons why, and then also estimating the resources that are going to be necessary. Do you have enough on the spaceship, in other words, right, to get you there, given all the twists and turns that you're most likely going to have to take? Then how are you going to manage that twisting pathway? You're going to do it through Agile strategy. And Agile strategy is a lot of things. Honestly, I can't go into it all today, but I want folks to think about 90-day cycles of planning and doing. So if you think about, if you draw a straight line from left to right, and you think about the old versions of strategic planning versus implementing a strategic plan, it looks a lot like this. If planning is above that line, it's plan, 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 right? And then we finally get to the end of planning, and we drop down under the line, and we do, 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 right? We implement. And then sometime down the line, after about a year or two of doing that, we're going to go back and we're going to revisit the strategic plan. And lo and behold, nothing happened, right? Or nothing really adds up to what we thought it was going to add up to. But in Agile strategy, we're going to do something different. Imagine the horizontal line again. We're going to plan, and then we're going to do, and then we're going to plan, and then we're going to do, and we're going to plan, and we're going to do. It's like a sine wave, and it's on 90-day cycles. Within that 90 days, we use a process that we call 30-30. So accountability is very simple in our minds. The whole team comes together every 30 days, and they say, here's what we promised to do in the last 30. How much did we get done? And what are we going to do in the next 30? And then they meet again, and the next 30 becomes the past 30 right on down the line. Once that discipline is in the company and can't really be escaped because it's just so embedded as a way of doing business, I can guarantee you that if your peers are doing it the old way, you will rocket past them at a speed that you cannot imagine and they will never catch you because you have a way of adjusting your strategic path in real time. Incremental all the time. Most companies suffer from strategic planning, right? It's something that people hate. They think about going to the strategic planning retreat or the strategic planning meeting. Planning, planning does not appeal to people who are in the trenches getting work done. So we need to combine the two. We need a hybrid of planning and doing, which is why agile strategy is so important. Our process is not something that we invented. It came out of Purdue University's Agile Strategy Lab. And it was created by a group of people, believe it or not, who were involved in economic development. What they were trying to do is figure out how to draw complex ecosystems of stakeholders. If you think about a community trying to do this, move the needle on jobs and all those things that matter to the vitality of a community, you have a very complex ecosystem of stakeholders with many competing agendas, right? Civic, business, you know, whatever it might be, the citizens themselves, and lots of different ways of judging success. It becomes problematic. So by gathering the resources, setting clear pathfinding goals, path, pathfinder projects, setting clear goals that everybody can understand, including the one right in the middle of the bullseye, and then doing 30-30, 
right, on that sine wave, whole communities can move in concert if they've done well because assets are being contributed from a lot of different directions. Take that and just move it over into the business world. There's a feedback loop. We accomplished. That's right. On a very short cycle. Yeah, we got something done. That's right. Quarterly is nice. Like most of the time, it's here's your annual review, right? Let's annually review. I don't understand that. I don't think it works in any business. I think it's particularly difficult in smaller, privately held businesses where resources are so precious. So you can get that 30-30 meeting done, which is essentially an accountability meeting. Promises made, promises kept. What are we going to do next? What help do we need to do it? Do, hey, Team B, do we need you over in Team A to help out? There is no finger pointing in this system of, well, you know, you didn't meet your promises of the last 30 days. It's, well, we didn't get it done, but what are we going to do in the next 30 to kind of catch up and keep this ball moving? And if we need to reposition teams or put two together to help, then that's what we're going to do. Well, you know, and I, I think about that. And so let's say you got a 90-day period and it takes you 120 days to get it done. It's okay. Darn. It's okay. That's it a lot faster than it was. Yeah, <laughs> we got it done. We got it done. That's right. Yeah, these timelines slip. 90 versus 120, I'm not concerned about that. What I'm concerned about is clarity of vision promoted by mission, understanding why you're there and where you're going, and then having a process in place so that no matter who in the company comes, goes, or otherwise, you're not person-dependent, you're process-dependent. And, you know, in our view, it's interesting. When we work with our clients on this, remember, we're not working... We're not starting with a blank sheet of paper. So there are a lot of habits that have been ingrained in the organization, good, bad, and otherwise. And a lot of the skepticism around strategy and planning because, you know, somebody wrote a big document and then never looked at it again, whatever, whatever failures there may have been, and that's created resistance in the organization. We're trying to put in place a system, a process, a way of thinking, a set of behaviors that add up to a culture of planning and doing in a hybrid, short cycle hybrid. Sounds easy, sounds nice, but the first thing you have to do is break a lot of old habits, break through some walls of skepticism and, you know, mistrust and the dismissal of, you know, well, that strategy, that's never going to work. You know, that, and I don't blame them. Actually, I can't blame those people because, let's face it, probably didn't work. So all they're doing is telling the truth. And in that world, the truth is enough. So... It's very important. The company of the future, and my, what I love about it is that it gives businesses, owners, teams, stakeholders, let's just call them all stakeholders, a way to see the future and a way to get to the future. And a way to adapt. And a way to adapt. That's a great point. Because we know that the path is never straight. You know, they could be going along and have a hurricane. Absolutely. You know, or any yeah. other event, or the market changed, or yeah. right. any number of things, yeah. So we have clients in Puerto Rico, and I can tell you the story of Puerto Rico leading up to Maria and Puerto Rico after Maria. And our clients, I can't possibly share how difficult, how impactful that event was. I mean, you just, until you see it, and I've seen it, you don't understand it. But what happened with those who had agile strategy and a way of managing the path and clarity of vision, no matter what right, was that they didn't have to change the vision for the company. They just had to adapt the pathway to get there. So the hurricane was a huge impact and it was a huge obstacle, but it wasn't impossible. And we actually have seen some of our clients thrive 
as a result of it. Now, you almost hate to say it because it was such a horrible event. People died. People are still living living under blue tarps down there. It's not pleasant. On the other hand, on the business side, all of the things that our clients are doing is actually helping to restore the community that they love. So we move in the direction of our conversations. The conversation and agile strategy is always forward, never backwards. And that's the power of the program. So Company of the Future is all about, again, like all of our Value Accelerator's 90-day sprints. Company of the Future is a 90-day sprint, and it's building so that the things that happen before it contribute. We have another skill set, another process that the company has now adopted. They're learning how to use it. It won't be perfect. In some cases, it'll be messy. But then we're able to move into the next sprint, which is going to be productivity. Without clarity and without the process of agile strategy, Productivity is a really hard thing to get and keep. So that's company in the future. Excellent. So, you know, I think about it's not what you say, it's what you do. Mm. And so much of this is doing. Yeah. You know, so. The bias for action. Absolutely. The bias for action. Do something. Yeah. Excellent. Then we will take and conclude this component or portion of the deep dive and reconvene on the next one. Perfect. Sean, for the uh, folks that are listening to this particular episode and they want to reach out to you on social media or get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to find you? There's a lot of great information on our website at www.buildvaluetoday.com. Our phone number at a corporate headquarters, 312-626-1820. That'll get messages to everybody that you might want to talk to. You've got all the bios and all the emails on our website, and you can always reach out to me on LinkedIn, Sean. S-E-A-N, Hutchinson, H-U-T-C-H-I-N-S-O-N. Love to connect. Sean, appreciate it. Thanks so much.